November, uh, we're going to be looking at three different stories about the prophet Elijah, Elijah and the, uh, Elisha in the Old Testament. Um, Elisha was a, like Elijah, was a prophet with incredible powers of doing miraculous things, which expressed the compassion of God. And he was an apprentice and the chosen successor to Elijah. And this story, which Adam read so well, is the transition story. It's the transition where, where uh, Elisha steps up and succeeds Elijah. And uh, as we could tell, the, you know, the first part of it particularly is quite funny. It's quite, a, it's quite a funny story, and uh, the story co- goes in four movements, if you like. The first movement is the one called the journey. It's the journey together. This is Elijah's farewell tour, but Elisha doesn't want him to go, doesn't want him to leave him, and they go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River, which, if you know your Bible maps, is a bit of a weird dogleg, goes back on itself. But it seems as if they are retracing the route that Moses made uh, uh, towards the promised land, which Joshua completed. And so that particular episode was was an episode of great destiny and great fulfillment as they get into the promised land. So there's something about destiny and fulfillment in this farewell tour of Elijah's as Elisha is destined to take over. And Elijah tries three times to... uh, Tell Elisha to go, what well, to stay behind every time they go to a new place. But Elisha is absolutely adamant. He's sticking with him. He's reluctant to let Elijah go. And also at each stop, there's a group of rather pesky prophets who come up to Elijah and Elisha. And because they can see in the spirit, they can see what the Lord is doing and what the Lord is saying. They come up and they say, "Don't you? Can't you see that?" Um, uh, that uh, your master, Elisha, your master is going to be taken from you by the Lord and he's no longer going to be over you. And Elisha essentially says, saying, I know, I know, don't remind me. This is a terrible thing. Elisha seems pretty nervous to be left alone. And the journey finishes with a Moses-like miracle. If you know the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea, um, El- Elijah strikes the Jordan River with his cloak, and the cloak is the sign of a prophet, it's the, it's the sign of the office of a prophet, so he uses that to strike the river, and the waters part, and uh, they're being watched by this group of 50 prophets, and you can imagine, the prophets are standing by, looking at Elijah, they've seen him do some things before, and they're wondering, has the old man still got it, and he strikes the river, and the river parts, and they walk across, and there's a little ripple of applause, yeah, the old man's still got it, and they get to the other side. That's the journey part of the story. Then the second part of the story is what you might call the conversation. Elijah looks at Elisha, his successor, and he says, look, what can I do for you before you go? What can I help you with? And Elisha's answer is really hungry. I really like this answer. He says, I would like a double portion of your spirit, that is the anointing, the Holy Spirit that rests upon you to be able to continue to do the work that you've been doing and to build on it and to grow into it. And Elijah says, you've asked for a hard thing because only God can give the Spirit. But he says, look, here's a test. Here's a test. When I leave, if you see me when I leave, then you'll receive the Spirit. And if you don't see me, you won't. And I think the test is, uh, it's a test of his prophetic skills and powers can you, can you see into the heavenly realms? Can you see spiritually what is going on? And if you can, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. 
So that's the conversation. The third movement in the story is what you might call the separation. So we've had the journey, we've had the conversation, and now it's the separation. And as they walk and talk the other side of the Jordan, on the far side of the river, there's this extraordinary spiritual phenomena that happens. There's a chariot of fire, and there are horses of fire, and, and the two of them are walking together, and this chariot and these horses come between them and part them so that they're separated by this extraordinary phenomenon. And immediately, Elisha starts feeling the sense of loss, and he cries out, my father, my father, because he's losing him. And he also says, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, which shows that he can see them. So he's passed the test. And Elijah then gets taken up in a whirlwind. So it's a pretty extraordinary occasion. And he goes up in a whirlwind until he's seen no more. So that's the separation. And the fourth movement in this story for Elisha is the most important. We've had the journey, the conversation, the separation. And now it's what you might call the step up for Elisha. Elisha's on his own. He's on the far side of the river. And the first thing he does is he tears his clothes. And tearing his clothes is a sign of grief. He's lost his father in God. He's lost the person who's been investing in his life and been training him and being a prophet. He's lost him. But also, tearing his clothes signifies a decisive break with the past. So there's not only grief, but there is also determination in that action. And Elijah being taken up in a whirlwind, as you would do, he drops his cloak. And so his cloak is there on the ground, and Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak, the cloak of the office of the prophet. And uh, he, goes to the side of the, he goes to the side of the river, and he does what he's seen Elijah do, which is he hits the water with his cloak. And he says this beautiful prayer. He says, where is now the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is he? Is he was with him. Is he going to be with me? Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I sometimes wonder, does this prayer, is this, you know, because you can't read the tone of it in the scriptures, but is the prayer, is it a declaratory prayer where he says, where now is the, God, the Lord, the God of Elijah? Or is it more nervous? Is he praying it through, looking through his fingers, wondering if he taps the water, will the waters part? And I think it's more like that. And he hits the waters and the waters part. And the Lord is with him because uh, a miracle happens. And, and also, you've got to remember, those 50 prophets are still standing watching. And, they've say, and they're saying to each other, well, the old man's got it. I wonder if the young guy's got it. I wonder if he's got it as well. And when he hits the water, they little ripple of applause and say, yeah, he's got it too. If you like, this, this whole story is a story of Elijah's ascension and, Eli and Elisha's Pentecost. Because Elijah ascends to heaven just as Jesus does in the Gospels. And Elisha gets a massive download of the Holy Spirit. He gets a double portion of the power of God uh, as he steps up in faith. In fact, if you, if you read the scriptures carefully, you can see that Elijah, in his work, does eight miracles, and Elisha does 16. So he gets a very exact double portion. He gets what he asks for. 
And in the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples have a very similar moment to this Elijah Elisha story, which is when Jesus is saying to his disciples, very soon I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you. Uh, And they don't quite yet figure that it's going to be the cross and the resurrection and so on and the ascension. But he says, I'm going to leave you. And they're really sad because they've been with him for three years and Jesus has absolutely transformed their lives and, and, and brought them so much about the kingdom of God and the power of God. And so they're really sad. And he says, I know you're sad, but it is to your benefit that I go away so that the Holy Spirit will come to you, so that the helper will come to you. I've got to go so that the Holy Spirit will come. So I want to say a couple of things about this story. And it may be that one of these things really applies to you. Uh, possibly both. But I think it may be that one of, the, one of these two things will apply to you. And we can do some prayer into those things. So the first thing to say is this. All of us have people in our lives who mean a lot to us because they have encouraged us and helped us and prayed for us in our lives. And we've been discussing them. And this is good. And this is what the Christian community is about. This is what it's meant to be like when you're part of a church. Even better, some of us have been properly apprenticed by someone else or more than one person. Someone who really trained us in our relationship with Christ or how to operate in the power of the Spirit, how to read Scripture well, how to know what is right and what's wrong, how to operate in faith in everyday life. St. Paul used to do this for people and he would say, he would say to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do what I do because I'm doing what Jesus does. And that all is so good. But just as Elisha was really reluctant to let Elijah go, and the disciples were really reluctant to let Jesus go and come out from the cover that he gave them, there can be a temptation, and this is for some of us, can be a temptation to outsource our faith to other people, to mentors or helpers, often spouses, sometimes even children. We can tuck in behind other people, the keen ones in the church, the prayers and the givers and so on. And let them exercise faith on our behalf. And in that situation, I think what happens is, is that God engineers a separation. He takes the stabilizers off our bikes. And um, he gives us an opportunity to embrace his call to us personally and to seek God's spirit for ourselves. So the moment comes where we have to step up and do this thing for ourselves. I remember talking to a vicar who said he was walking through an airport um, one time and uh, he had his dog collar on. And as he's walking through the airport, this is the kind of thing that happens to vicars, uh, someone shouted out to him and said, say one for me, Father. And he looked at him and he said, say one for yourself, you lazy coot. (laughs) Now, that's brutal. That is really brutal. And that goes with that man's character. But I would say... There is an essential kernel of truth in that, which it's, it's really important to move from other people saying prayers for you, if you don't say any prayers, and you starting to say a prayer for yourself. That's really key, and that's what Elisha steps up and does, because God engineers a situation for him that he has to step up and exercise faith. And everyone in their lives should have at least one moment like this, probably many, where metaphorically you stand at the, at the shore of the Jordan River with, with your cloak in your hands and you're observed by other people who are willing you on and 
and praying for you and wanting you to go for it. But are you going to step out in actual faith yourself? This is the time. Are you going to love God and love your neighbor? Are you going to pray with the power of the Spirit? Are you going to read Scripture for yourself? Are you going to bring people to Christ yourself? Are you going to heal the sick yourself, as we were hearing about just now? Are you going to keep going with God when it's unbelievably tough? You see, these things are your inheritance. When Elisha asks for a double portion, he's asking for an inheritance. And these things are our inheritance. All these things that we can do. All these things that we can do in the power of the Spirit because they are frankly beyond us. These things are beyond us. But God wants to equip you and me to be able to do things that are beyond us. So I think we all need an event or many events where we activate faith in God for ourselves. And it's to our benefit that sometimes our mentors, helpers, and encouragers are not available in that moment. At the moment when we pray with Elisha, where is now the Lord, the God of Elisha? He's with them. Is he with me? Is he actually with me? And when you have those moments, they become moments of exponential forward movement and growth in your life because you have exercised faith yourself. And there are also times that you look back on in your life where you say, yes, I know God was really with me in that moment then. He was really there. And so I know he's with me now. So for some, your event is going to be a little bit like when you tell your friends and family that you are a Christian. And you're going to risk questions that you can't answer or risk possible rejection. For some, like I was talking about last week, it's going to be starting to give money away. Will God actually look after me? I know other people give money away, but will God actually look after me, myself? For some, it's going to be the first time you lead someone to Christ, the incredible privilege of praying with someone and seeing their life absolutely change, where in the words of the Bible, that someone moves from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves. There's an absolute change in someone's life. And they will never be the same again. But the thing is, when you do that for the first time, neither will you be. Because you'll have seen God move through you into someone else's life in an extraordinary way. For some, it'll be when you pray for healing. I remember talking with someone who was really wary of praying for healing for other people. And they were saying to me, "Uh, what if I pray and, and nothing happens and the person doesn't get healed? And I was saying, yeah, but what if you pray and something happens and they get healed? That's, you know, that's the moment that you're looking for. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, says the Scriptures. Think about that for a moment. Lives in you. He lives in other people, and we're joyous about that. But he lives in you too. Um, A friend of mine who is a vicar had this particular, um, had a particular uh, moment like this for himself. Uh, At the time when he was, wanting to pray for his con- congregation, that ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit, was going to stand at the front and ask the Lord to, to rest upon his people so that they would experience the presence and power of God. But he was really worried. But what if I pray? What if I pray and nothing happens? That God doesn't come. He doesn't answer my prayers. And I'm standing there at the front. And so um, he gathered us together like this, and we... Uh, and he taught us a little bit, and they said, I'm going to pray this prayer in just a moment. And then he turned around, and he said quietly to himself, 
oh God, I hope this works. And unfortunately, he was really close to his microphone. <laughs> so I just came out across the whole congregation. And, and God really responded to that prayer because the Holy Spirit fell in great power on people and all kinds of people's lives were changed. So whatever, you know, whatever your area of life is, it's important to put yourself in a place where you have to step up from time to time with real faith. If God doesn't show up, then, then you're, you're left in some difficulty. And if you don't engineer a situation like that, then I think what happens is occasionally God in his mercy engineers those situations for us, just as he did with Elisha and just as Jesus did with the disciples. So that may be for some of you. The other thing, uh, and much, much more briefly I want to say, is that Elisha asks for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a greedy ask, doesn't it? It sounds like a greedy prayer. Can I have a double portion? It's what Oliver Twist asked for. And the response he got was, more! But God isn't like that. If he, you know, greed is a sin, except in this case. If you want more of God then God absolutely loves that. He loves us to be really brash and cheeky in our prayers. And Elisha asks for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's seen what Elijah has done with the, with the Lord, and he wants double that. Because he's learned from Elijah, and he wants to build on it, and he wants to, as it were, stand on the shoulders of Elijah and take what he's learned from Elijah, but he wants to do more. He wants more of God, and he wants to bless other people more. And it really, it's a prayer that really recognizes need, that we truly need the presence and the power of God. It's, a, it's an essential necessity in our being able to follow Jesus. God always calls us beyond our natural powers so that we need supernatural powers to step up into what God has called us to. And so God intends that we are able to stand on the shoulders of others, gratefully learning and receiving from them, but always having the ambition to go further and uh, do more. Not because we're that great, but just because God is great and he multiplies everything that we, uh, that we steward for his cause. So what is God calling you to do for which you need a double portion? What's he calling you to do? Jesus went around to his disciples, and he called people. And if you're wondering what calling is, because it sounds like a bit of a Bible word, it's literally this. Hey! See, that's calling people. It's literally saying, follow me. That's what Jesus did, and he went around calling people to himself. And then he would give them the power to do the things that he was doing. So is God calling you particularly to a life of love and compassion to people you wouldn't normally love and have compassion for? Is God calling you to heal the sick? Is God calling you to lead, to teach, to tell other people about Jesus? Is God calling you to carry the presence of God into the areas of the arts or business or science or whatever it might be? Whatever God is calling, to you, calling you to, it will be more than you can do in yourself. And so it's a wonderful prayer to pray. To, for a double portion of the Holy Spirit.